are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. John Schuster back in the co-host seat, and you know what? That means we're going to be getting into some trouble here. Now, by the way, it's a very comfortable co-host seat. Isn't it? You do right. not spare an expense. I, I, do, I do not, and you know the thing is, when you're on the Mike Luke budget, mm-hmm. you would expect that co-host seat to be basically like the Phil Jackson Lakers throne. It's right pretty, and, and, and folks in Podcastville, it's pretty darn close. It's pretty close. So a lot of U of A fans getting upset. Uh, you know, why isn't Arizona getting their first target already? And we get that. But also wanted to go down memory lane a little bit and remind people that sometimes the second option can turn out to be a little bit better than the first option. Just saying out there. And I can't really uh, say who, but I think Arizona might be getting a couple kids here in the next couple weeks that I think will uh, alleviate some concerns. But when you look at guys... Wow, now that's a tease. That is a tease right there. Keep it locked on, (laughs) locked on Wildcats right there for the latest information. But I think when people think about, you know, some of the guys that were kind of afterthought recruits or things that didn't really work out, sometimes there's good, sometimes there's bad Schuster. But I think the epitome of somebody that was kind of that last second afterthought recruit was a guy, one Mr. Gilbert Arenas. And you were covering everything very closely at the time. What do you recall about when Gilbert Arenas was added to the class, Arizona beat out Kansas State for right. him, and right. what exactly was the uh, the hype around the program? There was no hype around the program for Gilbert Arenas. You want to talk about... If you want to use the overused, under-the-radar cliche, Gilbert Arenas most certainly fit that category. He played at a small school in Southern California, uh, put up some pretty gaudy numbers there mm-hmm. on occasion, uh, but was completely overlooked. K-State kind of got in fairly late, and they were thinking, man, we found something, and then Arizona sort of swooped in. It was one of those... It, it, it was one of those it was a midnight loot moment uh, where, you, you know, you kind of swoop in, you have an availability, you take a flyer and you see what happens. And uh, uh, over, over the course of the time that Arenas was here, it certainly worked out uh, for Arizona. Such a remarkable talent. And it is fascinating that even, and, and I know it doesn't happen a lot. Obviously, it doesn't even happen in Arizona because we're using this as some specific examples. But... Some of the great talents who just, you know, are in what if what if situations and just kind of got lost and were and became last minute additions. Arenas is among the most talent, the physically gifted, talented players to ever come through this program. No, no doubt. No doubt. Right. <laughs> it's like wait, and Kansas State. And I think that it, was your recruiting base? And I think it goes to show you, too, that sometimes, even though recruiting can be inexact, I mean, look at it last year with Arizona. You brought in some foreign kids at the last second that, oh, yeah, by the way, they turned out to be pretty darn good. And so just because you miss out on a guy doesn't mean that you're necessarily not going to be able to get a real quality player. And when Arenas came, it was a little bit different. Again, I'm not going to try to blow smoke here and pretend that uh, – this was something it wasn't. I think once Arenas hit campus, very quickly on, people knew that this guy's a little bit different to the effect of, well, we've got a guy in Ruben Douglas right here who has NBA potential, who 
was going to go on to lead the nation in scoring, and he took about five seconds of looking at Gilbert Arenas and said, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go try my go try my wares elsewhere." So there are cases like that out there. And again, I'm not saying that Arizona is going to get a Tommy or a, excuse me a Gilbert Arenas, but. Just because you miss out on your first guy doesn't necessarily mean that that's the worst thing in the world. The grander thing, the the, the way I kind of look at this, Mike, once in a while you'll get an, a case like that, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it leads to a lot of what-if conversations in college basketball. Because what if Gilbert Arenas had gone to Kansas State? He may have been the best player. He may have been among the top five best players at that school. And maybe Kansas State has a little bit better fortunes uh, here and there. Right. Uh, you imagine him at Kansas State, that, though. Like, the, what the, the numbers would have been the numbers would have been stupendous. The win loss may not have been all that great, but the numbers may have been stupendous. But a lot of the way that I kind of look at this is a little bit more is a little bit more larger scale, I think, and, and that comes to the it's. From an Arizona standpoint, what I would call the Amon Green factor. And what do you mean by Amon the Amon Green, Green factor? Because I'm going to make are, fun of people that Amon believed in Green, this. Amon uh, Green, for folks who are unaware, was a highly regarded running back prospect out of the state of Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, Arizona coach Dick Tomey, when Arizona was on a roll mm-hmm. and, and had improved their prominence significantly, thought they had a very legitimate chance at landing green. He was one of the five schools he took a visit here. That was itself a big deal mm-hmm. uh, for Arizona. And Arizona ultimately didn't get him, which shouldn't be a surprise because when you're the outsider trying to break into the elite club, you're still working an uphill battle to try to get a kid. And keep in mind, too, Nebraska's coming off two straight national championships. He's in the backyard, but... And here's see. my... And that's, and that's exactly the point. Here's the problem. You'd better have always, 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 always have a contingency plan. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whoever you recruit, have a contingency plan. Figure out what plan B, C, D, E, and F, and then work your way down that line to try to figure out what you're going to, you have to adapt, you have to make changes. You're dealing with the whims of 17-year-old kids, which are the future of your program, and, and, and expecting to get coherent answers that work in your favor all the time. If you do not have a contingency plan, you're in trouble. Arizona football didn't when it came to that running back. It was, they went for A recruits, or they went for D recruits, mm-hmm. and I think it really affected the overall standing. You went from the five-star to the OKG. Yes, and, and, and I think that hurt the overall standing of the program, ultimately. And it may be, now, you know, this is, this is something for you and perhaps Anthony Gimino, what is he football know? historian mm-hmm. extraordinaire, to talk about in regards to Arizona football. But I wonder if, to some degree, you could look at the Amon Green recruiting instance and view it as a turning point for Arizona football that made it difficult for this program for decades. And honestly, that wouldn't surprise That's me. That's a ridiculous least. thing to say. I but get it. But it wouldn't surprise but, me. But when you look at it, though, throughout the good coaches, though, generally always have contingency plans. And like we talked about, we talked a little bit earlier about Ty Ty Washington, who looked like he was going to go to Arizona. Oh, by the way, John Calipari loses a guy here and there. Oh, by the way, I'm in here. Now, granted, that's Kentucky. That's a totally different situation. But same thing, though, with Lute Olson when it came to Gilbert Arenas, another guy that didn't really materialize the way that we thought he would here, but he went on to play in the NBA for 10 years, was Will Bynum. Not a 
wasn't a guy that was recruited early on by Arizona, I believe at a Crane High School, but Arizona was able to get him out of the Chicago Public League. And again, he didn't see the manifestation of his game really materialize at Arizona. But Lute always kind of had a backup option, a little bit of a trick up his sleeves. And I think the great coaches generally have those. You were talking to Jason Shear last week, uh, and, and, and the two of you do a much better job getting into the specifics of Arizona recruiting. So a question that I'd throw to him, one of the things he talked about is that he's uncertain if the Lloyd approach is going to be effective. Something about, I I think it was, and you can refresh it here because you understand this too. It's like Lloyd has an A, a B, a C, and that's it, and it doesn't necessarily work in today's atmosphere, but I don't know. Is that contingency enough? And and I think that's Shear's question. Go ahead. Yes, and I think that is, and I think it's something we're going to be able to hit on a little bit on the other side when it comes to the transfer portal but I do believe you're going to see that some of these contingency plans are probably kids that are at other schools at this point and we'll find out I mean it's you're we're we're, we're watching something it's kind of an experiment that I think we're watching on uh, yeah and I think one of the things that's interesting is that Sheer clearly has questions about it oh, uh, yeah. and and I'd like to maybe it'd be interesting for him to maybe expound on what he thought worked recruiting well and maybe what doesn't necessarily work in this day and age or what could work based on different philosophies because it's obvious that Lloyd has some different philosophies than the predecessor did Mm -hmm. which is totally understandable Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how effective it ultimately is and how long it takes for Lloyd to uh, return Arizona to the prominence that this fan base deserves. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about that? And we can also refer to rockauto.com, as we've talked about before, that rockauto.com is one of the best places that you can go to find any kind of car part that you need. We talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. You're going to get tired of hearing about rockauto.com, but the great thing about rockauto.com, though, is that it is here for you. And you know what? If you don't utilize it, you know the only person that's going to hurt is you because the word is out on rockauto.com rockauto.com wants to help they're not begging to help that's where we're at right now when it comes to rockauto.com thanks for keeping it locked on wildcats i'm your host mike luke with john schuster all right we were talking a little bit in the first segment about the contingency plans for u of a when it comes to tommy lloyd when it comes to Arizona, when it comes to whether Shear thinks that there is a uh, enough of a contingency plan, you are a little skeptical of the transfer portal and the way that it's being utilized now, mainly because you think that it's something that is going to affect the landscape of college basketball to a certain extent. I just put words in your mouth, and you know what? They were fine words. Speak for yourself. Uh, A coach that you bring up rightfully on a regular basis, you're a big Dana Altman fan, Mm -hmm. you should be. Anybody who likes college basketball should be a big Dana Altman fan. Altman does remarkable things at Oregon. Leader of men. But one of the things that this leader of men in Eugene, Oregon, out of the state of Nebraska, which apparently is a fine, fine state. Nebraska, out of the city of Nebraska. Out of the the community. Mm -hmm. It's a community. Mm -hmm. It It takes a village. It takes far more than a village (laughs) when you're going into Crete, Nebraska. When you're Dana Altman and it takes a village, he uses something of a village approach. In essence, he's a pioneer of the transfer portal before the transfer portal. He's a Lewis and Clark. So you have explained to me, and and all you have to do is look at Altman's roster. Altman comes back with a roster of six new players every year. Mm -hmm. And, And they're very talented and they're very athletic and they're very gifted. And inevitably, 
What's the conversation we have with yeah, Dana Altman looked, around December? They look why, why in the world? I mean, Oregon is ranked fifth in the preseason, but how are they five and five? And they lost to some. Yeah, they just lost to George Washington by thirteen. Yes. How are they? You know, now they're. You know, it's the middle of January, and somehow Oregon's twelve and ten, and in seventh place in the conference. Man, it's a really Oregon's really disappointing. And then it gets to mid-February. And all of a sudden, oh, wow, what a shocker. Oregon's good. Nobody wants to see Oregon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because Altman basically seems to start from scratch every year. Right. And as a result of this, December basketball isn't very good because he's trying to get the product going. They grow a little bit in January, but have their lumps by the time he, he hopes that by mid or late February. They're a good basketball team usually... That's what happens. Not every coach in college basketball is Dana Altman. And what I think is, and what I fear is going to happen with the transfer portal is that, you know, for, for, for those of you out there who say, you know what, let the kids be the kids and go to wherever they want to go because they, it's their life and they can pick whatever they want. Okay, fine. Just fine. But don't come back to me when basketball, when college basketball suffers in December, January, and early February, because every coach has basically a new roster every year and is trying to figure out how to get these guys to play well together, hoping that they can make it work at the right time around mid-February and into March and have some competitive uh, performances in the NCAA tournament. My fear here is from a fan standpoint. Mm-hmm. That the and and let 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 let's use this from another example, like it or not, and I get it. You know when the when players were either allowed to spend one year at the NCAA level before going pro. Who were the better basketball teams? Uh, UNLV from 1990, mm-hmm. Houston from 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, name a Carolina team, the Jordan teams, a bunch of teams in the 90s right. before all of this, or today's college basketball teams. Who was better, Baylor or Houston, UNLV, and... Almost always it's going to be the older teams. Almost because, always it's going to be the older teams. Because you have teams that are around two, three mm-hmm. years. I exactly. Mean, are players around so, two, three, four did years. did the quality of college basketball get hurt when players left early? Oh, for sure. The answer no, is for no, sure. No doubt, no doubt. I think there's a very real possibility here that because of the transfer portal, the quality of college because the basketball... the cohesion just isn't going to be there. It's not going to be there. Right. And if it isn't there, then it's going to take coaches longer periods of time to put a quality product on the floor. I also think... And for those of you out there, if you're okay with that, just if, if you're okay with the transfer portal, and that's what you think should happen, okay, fine. But don't come back later and say, boy, man... College basketball just doesn't seem as good as I remember it, especially in the early portion of the season. Don't be surprised if that's what happens. And I also think, too, it becomes a little bit of a crutch and a safety net to basically any coach then to say, well, at the end of the day, I'll just go find people in the transfer portal. So, again, I realize that I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here a little bit, which I can do because it's my podcast. But at the same time, though, I do understand your point that you could have some really rough college basketball. I mean, and look at it this way. Now, again, it's really weird. It's hard to say what's what and what's not because of this COVID season. And I think we're going to see a much 
more normal college basketball season next year. But a lot of your blue bloods that traditionally, you know, run things, Kentucky, Duke, you didn't hear anything about them this year. Now, you could say it's not really the transfer portal. You had guys in and out of the lineup. But you do kind of wonder, though, if you're going to have see schools that are now just going to rely 100% on that. Now, again, it works if you're... Dana Altman's proven that in certain circumstances it can work. Right. But... Every coach isn't Dana Altman. And I'm almost, Mike, not sure that Altman, this isn't the best thing that could happen to Oregon. Right. Because Oregon's five years ahead of everybody right, else exactly. on how to make this work. Now they got to recruit high school kids. <laughs> right. It's like, wait a second. Here. <laughs> wait, this is what? Yeah. No, it would be fascinating to see what Tommy Lloyd does with this because you haven't seen a ton of that from Gonzaga because Gonzaga's kind of been that nuclear program that, you know, guys come up your traditional way and it's worked for them. And quite frankly, they haven't had to go that route or they didn't want to go that route. It doesn't really matter to me. It's worked that way for them. See, I don't think we know. Mm-hmm. I think I, I understand the kids have transferred all the time. Right. It, what, and what it does is it, it, it creates it creates different opportunity, different challenges and different opportunities. Right. So I think the reality right now, because the transfer portal is such a new thing in its in this state, we honestly don't know how bad it's going to be. My inclination is that in the early stages of college basketball, the quality of play isn't going to be very mm-hmm. good. Could right. be wrong about that. However, the opportunity here is that now, as a coach, you have to work harder to create an atmosphere for players to want to stay. Right. And, and You're basically coaches, recruiting your roster the entire time. And Yes. And if you can do that well, then you're going to be successful. And it, 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 there are reasons to believe that, you know, there are a number of coaches out there who are very successful as it is, are going to be continue to be successful because they're going to be able to figure that out. Uh, but, you know, will there be... I, I think if you watch college basketball on a regular basis, I have a fear that the product's going to be affected negatively as a result of this. However... Altman is a guy who I think can be successful. Calipari is a guy who doesn't care. Right, doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter to him. Whoever you want to. Right. We're the best players. Yeah, yeah. And and, and they'll bring in 10 new players next year anyway. Uh, They are two examples that are almost outliers in this. The rest of college basketball, it becomes a very interesting creative experiment to see who does it well. And you know what? If you're able to get on top of that and figure out before anybody else, like John Schuster or Dana Altman, you might want to throw that bet at betonline.ag. For John Schuster, I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for keeping it locked on Wildcats.